Good morning. I, I'm, uh, I'm just so glad that we have that particular video, uh, Craig. It's just perfect for the series. Well, uh, it's good to see you. Last week we were, and I'm kind of ringing, I think. Um, last week, uh, several of you asked about where we were last week. Uh, we, Marsha and I do pastor and wives conferences. And uh, some of them are, are large groups, but we really prefer uh, the small group experience. And uh, so last week we were in central uh, California in a little town called Solvang. Uh, it's an amazing little town. I don't know if you've been there, but it's built around a Danish theme. Everything looks like you could be in, in uh, Danish, uh, in, <laughs> in Denmark. And so, you know, it's just really a, a great place, but it was one of the best retreats I think we've, we've ever had. Uh, just uh, powerful. You know, pastors basically have no one to talk to. Uh, there are issues, there's thoughts, there's feelings in our lives, just like there are in yours. And uh, so who do you talk to about that? Do you talk to other church members about it? Well, it may be you don't want to discourage their faith at some of the things that you're tempted with or some of the things that you have thought and struggled with. It, so people say, go to a counselor. Well, you know, interestingly enough, we feel the same way. We don't want to discourage them. So who do we go to? Well, most pastors go to nobody. And that creates more and, and more difficulties as life goes on. And uh, so our, our ministry, Pastor Support Network, is really all about supporting pastors with the belief that every pastor needs a pastor. So that's what we do, and, uh, and we just love pastoring pastors and the wives. Uh, I, I, I love the video for a number of reasons, but also what Jeannie and David said for a number of reasons. I'm so glad that we had a, a baptism this morning. Uh, and here's why. We are doing a brief study, a doctrinal study, on the church. Uh, so why that? Well, it's because I, I think that it's vital for the church to remember who and what you are, particularly in an interim period of time uh, as you're uh, between uh, a lead pastors. And so... Uh, th that's one of the reasons why we could do this. And we've talked about a number of things related to the church, the importance of the church, the continuity of the church, uh, just a number of things about the church. One of the things that I think is so needed today for the church to better understand is uh, are, are the ordinances. By that, I mean Jesus left two orders for the church to make sure that you do. And one of them is believer's baptism, which we saw this morning and, and so enjoyed. The other is, we call it the Lord's Supper or communion. And I want to talk about that, Lord willing, next week. But today, 
uh, odd, uh, this, you may never have heard a whole sermon on uh, baptism. And I, I admit it's a strange thing for us to devote an, an entire uh, time to, a worship service to. But since the Lord only gave us two ordinances, we must understand them both and their place in our worship. Christians uh, have a purpose. Our purpose in life is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To glorify God. How do we glorify God? In a number of ways, but one of the ways that we are to glorify God is through corporate worship. I realize that some people can think that, think, uh, that corporate worship is not important but it is vital. In fact, I would say that you cannot maintain a growing and healthy Christian life apart from the fellowship of believers. And uh, so, corporate worship is vital. When we come together, what are we supposed to do? Well, there's some things that the Bible says you have to do. One of the things is to pray. Another thing that the church is to do in corporate is to read the Bible. Uh, and a third thing is uh, the preaching and teaching of the Word. A fourth thing is congregational singing, and you do that well. And a fifth thing is practicing those ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. John Piper says that the majority of Christians, he believes that the majority of Christians do not understand baptism and do not care about baptism. He said the majority of church attenders are not baptized people. Now, I don't know if he's right or wrong, but I do know that it is an essential thing for us to grasp. Uh, I, I've mentioned before that, uh, generally speaking, every May we take people on a tour of Israel. That at the end of this month, we'll be taking another group to Israel. We, this will be our 15th time of going. And, uh, and one of the times that we were there, uh, we went to the Jordan. We, we most always go to the Jordan River. And there are people who either haven't been baptized, who want to be baptized in the Jordan, like Jesus was, or who have already been baptized and want to commemorate their baptism. And so we stopped there, and as I got changed to get into the water, our guide came to me and said, uh, Pastor, there, there are three people here. They're from Indonesia. They have been here all day. We were there in the late afternoon. They have been here all day waiting for someone who would agree to baptize them. And nobody has been willing to do it. Would you? And I said, if they have been saved, yes. And so we sat down and we talked. And they had grown up as Muslims they had all three come to Christ, and they all three wanted to go to Israel to be baptized in the Jordan River. Now, by the way, your baptism is every bit as valid if you're baptized 
up there as you would in the Jordan River. In fact, it's cleaner probably. <laughs> uh, that's a different story though. And uh, so they got in line with all their other people who were in our group wanting to be baptized. I put them first. And when I baptized each one, when I baptized each one, they came up out of the water crying and praising God with their hands in the air. It was the most meaningful, precious baptism experience that I've ever had as a pastor. They understood the importance of baptism, and they reveled in their opportunity to do it. Well, let's talk about baptism a little bit today. What is baptism? Believe it or not, that's not an easy question to answer because baptism has changed through the years. In the Old Testament, baptism was used as a kind of ritual washing, and in many cases, it was an initiation into Judaism. People were born as Gentiles, and they wanted to become Jews, so they converted to Judaism, and they needed to be baptized. That's how that was used in the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, we have early in the New Testament, John the Baptist. By the way, he was not a Southern Baptist. Let's get that straight. He was a baptizer, not, not a Baptist as we know them, thank the Lord. Uh, and so, John uh, came, and it says in Mark 1, 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A baptiz baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sin. The Bible says all kinds of people from Judea in, in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas came to John and heard him preach about repentance and wanted to be baptized as an outward sign of that repentance. Now, then Jesus came along, and he's going to change it a little more. And it says in Mark 1, 9, it says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth, to Galilee, and I'm sorry, I've got a bit of allergies today. So it's either like my nose or drip, and that's, the second is not a good choice for, for you. Uh, and so to, to be baptized in the, uh, from Nazareth to Galilee to be baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, Immediately, he saw the heavens being torn, torn open. I, I, I like that verb, torn open in the spirit, descending on him like a dove. Now, there's so much that could be said there, but I just want to stop and do the overview. And that is, for Jesus, baptism was not an, an initiation into Judaism. He was born a Jew. And for Jesus, uh, baptism was not an outward sign of repentance because he never sinned. He never needed to repent. For Jesus, 
baptism was uh, an identification with the gospel. It's him saying, I'm the Messiah, I have come now to present the gospel, to live the gospel, and I am formally announcing that. It was identification with the gospel. So what is baptism today, anyway? What is that about? Well, there's some people that think that baptism is a way to wash sins away. In fact, there's quite a number of people who believe that it's the water of baptism that somehow washes away sin. Uh, but in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, it says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Water does not cleanse us from sin. The blood of Jesus does. And that blood of Jesus is applied to us in heaven as we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so baptism does not in any way wash away sin. It's an act of obedience. It's a symbolic way in which we identify with uh, the work of Christ. As was said this morning, uh, so wonderfully, so clearly, this is a way to tell you and anybody else that you are a follower of Jesus. It's also a way for you to say, I believe in the death and the burial and the resurrection. When they're put under the water, it represents the death. When they brought out the resurrection, and then when they walk off, that is the uh, ascension, the resurrection of Jesus. And so that's what it does. And therefore, saved people are the ones who are baptized. Unsaved people, pre-Christians if you would, unsaved people can be put in the water and put under the water and be brought up out of the water. And you know what that makes them? That makes them wet. And, and nothing more than wet. You see, baptism is something that believers do. Now, how, uh, uh, by the way, when I was a boy growing up, we did something in our church called uh, make a public profession of faith in Jesus. And to what those congregations meant by that was you come forward, you shake the pastor's hand, you may pray to accept Jesus, you're presented to the congregation, and that's called the public profession of faith in Jesus. Now, there is no place in the Bible that there's anything close to that. Uh, I know that shakes the faith of some people, but no, no place in the Bible that's anything close to that. In fact, in the Bible, the public profession of faith in Jesus is baptism itself. Now, uh, how should a person be baptized? How? Well, this is a very controversial thing. How should you be baptized? Should you be sprinkled? Should you be immersed? Uh, if, you know, how, how should you be baptized? I'm going to give you a series of statements today that I want to assure you are not Baptist statements. In other words, 
whether you're in a Baptist church, a Bible church, or whatever kind of church you're in, the same truth would hold true. Uh, and so my purpose is not to propagate a denominational view. My purpose is just to show you what the Bible itself clearly says. Now, that being so, uh, how were people, are people to be baptized? Well, one of the ways that we can find uh, out how people were baptized is by looking at personalities in the New Testament who were baptized. And then look at the meaning of the word baptize. And then third, look at the symbolism of the baptism. Okay? So how should we be baptized? Well, let's look at personalities. In Matthew 3, 16. And you may not be able to see all the verses that I'll be sharing uh, this morning. But Matthew 3, 16 says, And when Jesus was baptized, Immediately, he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and, rest, and coming to rest on him. Same as in Mark. So, when Jesus was baptized, he did what John's practice was, and that was to go down into the water to be placed under the water to be brought up out of the water and that symbolized his total identification with the work that he did just as in john's baptism uh, being placed under the water represented the forgiveness of sin you see and so jesus saying no that's that's really not the way it is in in acts chapter 8 and verse 36 it says this and as they were going along the road, they, that would be Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. There's a whole story of how that Ethiopian would have got there. Uh, and uh, in fact, you might put in a browser uh, Ethiopians and Judaism. And you'll see some fascinating stories of how they got there. But anyway, he's coming back from Jerusalem where he has been to the temple to pray. He's an Ethiopian. He is a government official. Now, that being true, uh, when he's, he's reading the book of Isaiah as he's riding along. Today, we would call him a distracted driver. Uh, he's reading the book of Isaiah as he goes along. Philip sees that he is, and so what does he do? He says, what you're reading? And he said, it's Isaiah, and I don't understand it. I need somebody to tell me. So uh, he, Philip, went along and explained to him what it meant. Uh, when Isaiah says uh, it predicts the coming of the Messiah. Well, we're not told explicitly how and when that Ethiopian eunuch accepted Christ. However, we know that as they went along, the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch said, here's water pointing to some body of water that they saw. Here's water, what prevents me from being baptized? Uh, 
Now, we live in a desert. We know the importance of water. We know that you take water with you when you're in the desert. And so that Ethiopian must have had water for his trip in the desert. If sprinkling had been enough, he would not have been looking for enough water to be placed into. But he did because that's the way baptism works. Now, a second way that we know that baptism is by immersion is because of the meaning of the word. Sometimes I like to bring out a, a big, thick book called a lexicon. A lexicon is a, a dictionary of Hebrew and Greek words. Not a Baptist lexicon, not even a Christian le lexicon necessarily, just a dictionary of Hebrew and Greek words. Now, if you look up the word baptizo, or the verb baptismo, if you were to look up that word, what you would find is this definition. Baptizo in Greek means immersion. Now, not necessarily in a religious sense. I like to baptize chocolate chip cookies and milk. <laughs> and, and so, it just means to put in and to bring out. That's, that's what the word itself means. Now, a tertiary uh, uh, definition is to wash. But the primary definition, as most commonly used, is just uh, to plunge, dip, submerge, and bring out of, uh, of the water or anything else. Now, because of the meaning of the word, we could know that baptism is by immersion. In fact, back in the writing of the King James Version in 1611, when they came across the word baptizo, they had to know that it meant to be immersed. But the practice of the Church of England was to sprinkle. So rather than translate it, they transliterated it, which means you just take the letters and put it in a different uh, language. And so that's what they did. Baptism means to, to uh, immerse into something. Now, the third thing is that baptism is a demonstration of something. It's symbolic of your faith. It's saying, I believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. I don't care who knows it. I want to glorify God by being obedient to him and proclaim my belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, I want, want to tread on this ground very lightly but definitely. Some of you may have been sprinkled, particularly as a child. And uh, I, I don't want to trivialize that experience in any way. To your parents, that was a very meaningful thing. To other relatives, very meaningful thing. Uh, uh, some churches call it christening. That's a, a good word for it. 
But now, as a believer, you need a different kind of experience. And that is what clearly the New Testament says is immersion. And so, uh, that's the basic concept here. It's not that I'm trying to hurt your feelings or to uh, downgrade uh, what happened to you as a baby. Not at all. But without throwing that away, let's just recognize that baptism clearly in Scripture is by immersion. So, where did sprinkling come from? Well, if we were to uh, look back in history, what we would find is this. In the first century, the apostles taught that baptism was by immersion, and that's what they practiced. At the close of the first century, there was a document written called the Didache, or Didache. And what this really important document is, is that it was written just after the apostles died or even in their older ages. And so this is not scripture, but it is the practice of the church that knew the apostles. And this is what it says about baptism. It says that you should fast and pray. The baptizer and the person that's being baptized should fast and pray before. After that, you should baptize them by immersion in running water, cold running water. And if there's not running water, then you should baptize them in still water. And if, if you can, do that in still water that's cold. And if you can't, do this in still water that is warm. What that distinction is, I don't know. I don't like cold water, but, uh, you know, that's not my issue, is it? And so, uh, the, clearly, the teaching of that was that the practice of the church was by immersion. But then it goes on to say this. It goes on to say, if that water is not available, then sprinkle water as a sign of baptism. And that's really... Uh, was the teaching of the first church. That's the way that, that you would do it. Now, as time went on, and we get into the third century, the church began to add the idea of something called paedo-baptism. And what that is, is the baptism of babies. And why did they baptize babies? Well, the church that, churches that did that said that it gives that baby grace in order to be saved. Now, there's so much wrong with that, I don't know where to start. But just to say then, in summary, the Bible never mentions paedo-baptism. Never mentions. We don't have a single example of a baby being baptized. Again, I'm not tearing down what your parents may have, have done. That's not my point here. My point is that you need another experience. And that experience is believer's baptism. Now, the next question. Who should be baptized? And really, it's just a select number of people who should be baptized. Not everyone. 
just a few. In fact, the Bible gives only one example of people who were baptized. They all had this in common. They were people who were believers in Jesus. That's the only kind. For, for example, Matthew 28, 19. This is one of the best-known verses in the Bible, the commission of the church by Jesus, and it says this. Jesus saying to his apostles, go therefore and make disciples. First, make disciples. In other words, first lead people to Jesus. Then, going on, disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Never is a person baptized pre-salvation. Never. And teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So we have this pattern, and the pattern is sequential. The sequence throughout the New Testament is be saved and be baptized. And then grow and learn. Now, in Acts 2.41, we have that incredible day when Peter and the apostles, they are preaching after the ascension of Jesus. They're preaching to the people of Jerusalem. And he tells the story of Jesus, and he gives some sort of an invitation for them to accept Christ. And this is what it says. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Uh, So who was baptized? The people who had received the word of God, you see. The the believers. That's the only people baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch was A a believer. The Philippian jailer came to Christ and then he was baptized. Who should be baptized? If I could make a point here, a clear point would be this only saved people, every saved person. Through the years, I have known people who refuse to be baptized. Sometimes they say, well, it was because I was baptized as a baby. No, not really. You, you really weren't. Uh, sometimes people have other motivations for not being baptized. And sometimes it's a, a pride issue. Not always, but sometimes. But here's, here's the thing. Uh, this is an act of obedience to Christ. We don't have the prerogative of deciding whether we will or won't. It it is indeed a a command to us. Just as much as any other command in Scripture, we are to do this. I want to encourage you to move from the position that you've held, and that's going to take uh, humility, but I want to encourage you to move from that position to that of being baptized. It is the right thing to do. Now, then we have, uh, well, let me put it this way. Let me just go in the front door. You may have a problem here. And that is, you've accepted Christ and never been baptized. Maybe you just didn't know. But now you do. Every saved person is to be baptized. Or it may be that you were baptized prior to your salvation. 
And that can happen all kinds of ways. I've seen it many times. I remember the first time that I recognized it was at the beginning of my ministry. And I preached a Sunday on baptism. And the first person that responded to that sermon was a woman named Wanda Lemons. Wanda was the pillar of the church. I mean, this woman was a CPA and she did uh, the accounting of the church and she did childcare, she fed people food, she was just such a servant. And so I said, Wanda, what's going on? And she said, I was baptized before I was saved. As a child, I made a profession of faith in Jesus. It never changed me, and I went on about my life, but later on, maybe in their teenage years, she recognized that she had never really been saved, and she accepted Jesus. Praise God that she accepted Jesus. But she had never been baptized. You say, well, you mean rebaptized? No, because baptism is for believers only. She'd never been baptized. She'd gotten wet earlier, but she hadn't been baptized as a believer. Is that your situation? I've seen pastors say that they needed to be baptized. Pastors' families saying that. Deacons saying that. Elders saying that. As well as all kinds of other people. If you were saved after you were baptized, then you just got wet, obey Christ now, and be baptized. You saw something this morning, the joy of being baptized. The church received it, she received it, it was wonderful. And, uh, and I just encourage you to do the same thing. Don't put this off any longer. So, why should you be baptized? Let me give you the reasons. The first is, God commands for you to be baptized. Go make disciples, baptizing them. God commands us to be baptized. That in itself should be enough for us. Secondly, we have the example of other Christians in the first century who accepted Christ and then they were baptized. We're following their example. Paul said, follow my example. And then he said to Timothy, live in such a way that, that, you can follow, that people will follow your example. Well, so we are to follow their examples of their baptism. Uh, and next, because of the emphasis placed on baptism in the New Testament, this isn't some kind of secondary or ancillary kind of issue. Not, no, not, not at all. This is a primary issue. In, in fact, we see the word baptism nearly a hundred times in the New Testament. Is it important? It is vital. It's vital for the condition of your soul. And then it's the influence that your baptism can have on other people. You see, it's a wordless sermon. You're talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and people, uh, in my knowledge, people have accepted Christ after watching 
someone, particularly a friend, make their public profession of faith in Jesus through baptism. What hinders you from being baptized? That's what the Ethiopian said. What hinders me from being baptized? Well, uh, what hinders people from being baptized? You might say it tears down your religious heritage. It does not. It supplements, it does not tear down. Secondly, you may be afraid. I understand that clearly. Now, if this is some kind of legitimate mental issue, if, it, if it's a phobia, you just can't be put under water, I think you should talk to your elders about alternatives to that. But if you're just afraid, then I'd say, let your faith conquer your fear. It, it's got to be that way in every part of your life. Faith must conquer our fears. And a third is you may be embarrassed to be baptized. Uh, it's a humbling thing to be baptized. You might say, well, what would people say if I, I've been a member of this church for decades. What would people think if I were baptized? It really doesn't matter what they think. It, it's what God thinks. That's what matters. You know, I see today as your opportunity to hear and respond. I believe that God has brought you here for purpose. Today is a day of this decision. One other thing. Why is baptism important for the church. I'm so thankful for the baptism this morning for so many reasons, but you got to see why baptism is so important to the church. There is a new believer who is declaring her identification with Christ. You can know that God is still at work in this church doing the work of redemption. Your faith can be stirred up as you watch the testimony of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And this must be one of the primary ways in which Foothills Baptist Church worships. And so, baptism is important to all of us. But for those of you who really haven't been baptized, I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to take out one of those cards that's in the pew rack in front of you. Put your name and your contact information, whether that's phone number, whether that's uh, an email address, and just write baptize on it. And then turn it in at the desk, the, the, the reception area desk, as you're leaving or you can put it here in the front. I'll pick them up for sure after the service. You can talk to one of the pastors. Don't let this slip away from you. By filling that out and saying something about baptism, what you're really saying is, I need more information. Uh, this is a decision you can change, of course, but this is a huge step that will help you in the long run. A Christian who is not baptized.
is limiting the progress of their soul. And I encourage you to do something about that. Let me pray. Father, I, I've got to admit there are things about baptism that I do not understand at all. I, I don't understand why you picked this as a method for believers to, uh, to declare their faith in Jesus. But you did. I don't understand why we struggle so much with baptism, but we do. But nevertheless, Father, in spite of the confusion, I pray that today there may be many people here that say, I will follow Jesus regardless of the personal cost. And Father, I pray that you might bless them as they are being baptized. In Jesus' name, amen.